so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC podcast. As we've mentioned, Trillia Newbell will be hosting a special series beginning in February. Here's a sneak peek at what you can expect. We are called by God and saved by God through Christ. Then we should want to know God. And how are we going to know Him except through knowing His Word? You just focus on the goal. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? What is our mission? And we trust each other. We've been put together to do this. When we spend so much time only emphasizing certain gift sets for women, then what you do is you leave all of the women who are equipped in other ways to say either I'm not gifted or I'm not really a woman. Letting women know that I'm willing to listen to questions and concerns you have is powerful and encouraging. There is no such thing as a follower of Christ who does not have a contribution to make to the kingdom of God. Hi, I'm Trillian Newbell, and I'm excited to announce our series, Better Together. The series captures our desire to partner together as men and women in the church and beyond to advance the kingdom with mutual support and care. Better Together will address a wide range of topics from sexual abuse, leadership, women in work, women's ministry, and so much more. Our goal is to inform and equip listeners on matters most important to women in the areas of church, home, and work. On today's podcast, we'll hear a candid discussion about being a wife and a mom. Our society has a lot to say about marriage and womanhood, but how much of it is biblical and helpful? Trillia Newbell, Nicole Lino, Donna Gaines, Janie Ortland, and Cami Bethencourt candidly talked about this in their panel, Loving Wife, Fulfilled Mother, Embracing God's Design for Womanhood and Marriage, at our national conference. Before we get into our panel discussion, we wanted to let you know that some of the topics discussed may not be suitable for little ears. Let's join their discussion now. My name is Trillia Newbell, and I have two children, a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old, and I guess you'd say four in heaven, if you'd like to say that. I've had four miscarriages, so I am uh, just uh, been married for 15 years, and yeah, that's me in a nutshell, you guys. My name is Donna Gaines, and I'm a pastor's wife. My husband's a pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. We have four grown children. 11 grandchildren, and three more on the way, 10 and under. So they're a lot of fun. (laughs) Hi, I'm Nicole Lino, and I'm married to Nathan, and we have four kids, a boy, uh, and then three girls, age 14, down to nine. Hey, I'm Cammie Bethencourt. I'm married to Philip, who's the executive vice president at ERLC. Uh, We have four children, four boys, um, all nine and under. 
Hi, I'm Jannie Ortland, married to Ray Ortland, pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We have four children, all married, and uh, 13 grandchildren. That's awesome. Well, I am uh, really excited about this time, and I want us to start with Jannie to just kind of help us understand, and really it will set the tone for this time, but what is it? What is womanhood in marriage that you see in Scripture? Can you define that for us? How much time do I have? I know, right? So this is the, yeah, you have about five minutes to sum up all of the Scripture. Oh my goodness. I mean, books have been written on this, haven't yeah. they? So I would Didn't you write? You, you and Ray wrote one. Yeah. As I think about that question, what is God's design for us as women in marriage? And try to bring it down to five minutes. This is how I would define it. I'd use three different terms. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God says, oh, it's not good that man should be alone. Something's not good in the perfect garden of Eden. Imagine that, a man alone. (laughs) That's what's not good. So I'll design a helper fit for him, a helper. Now, some of us think of that word, Mommy, mommy, help me. And it feels like maid service, but that's a strong word. Think of how often it's used of God in in the Psalms. Psalm 118, verse 7. The Lord is my helper beside me. Or Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper. Why should I be afraid? You don't go for help to someone weaker than you. You go for help to someone you know can help you. It's a wonderful calling from God. We get to help the man, the one man God brings into our lives and hearts. Another term that I think of when I think about God's design for us women in marriage is one of life giver. And I don't mean that just through children, childbearing, although that is important, I I also mean it in that in any situation we enter into, I believe it's God's design for us in our marriages to give life, not drain it, to give it. I, I think of Proverbs 31, so many wonderful phrases there. You all could help me out with this, but some that I think of is that she's trustworthy, She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She speaks with wisdom. The law of kindness is on her tongue. Think of that. Think how life-giving that is to a man who's been outside his home all day being beaten up, and then he comes home, and you, you bring him good. Or, I love this, she works willingly. I mean, I work, but sometimes that willingly bit becomes more of a drag on Ray than life-giving. But I believe it's my role, my design as a woman in marriage to be a life-giver through willingly working with my husband. Or what about this? She, she clothes herself with strength and dignity. Oh, it's so life-giving to be in the presence of a woman who is dignified and filled with strength. 
and the end part of that verse, you know it, it says she laughs at the days to come. And that brings me to my third, and this will be the final one, Trillia, don't worry. <laughs> that fearlessness, she laughs at the days to come. There's so many passages in Scripture that talk about a, a woman who has fears and what to do with them. I mean, think of the mother of our Lord, Mary. When the angel Gabriel came to her in Luke chapter 1, she was greatly troubled. We get that as women, greatly troubled. I would be too if the angel Gabriel came and talked to me. But as the angel talked to her and, and, and told her to fear not, what was her response? Behold, the servant of the Lord. And again, sometimes we as women feel like all we do is serve. What a wonderful design. I mean, Ray has helped me to see that when God calls you his servant, that means you're his responsibility. So it's a wonderful design. We don't need to be afraid of that call. Or, or think of 1 Peter 3. We're all probably familiar with those verses about, about Sarah. I, I love how that passage ends. The ESV translates it, do not fear anything that is frightening. Don't you love it that Scripture recognizes that in this life there are things that frighten us? It, it doesn't say don't fear because there's nothing to be afraid of. It says, don't fear because you are my servant. I've called you to this. You can trust me. I'll tell you a quick story about my mother-in-law and then pass it back to you, Trillia. My mom-in-law, Ann Ortland, was just my hero. She helped me so often, and she taught me a lot. One evening, uh, she was visiting our home in Nashville, and Ray and I were going through a particularly difficult ministry catastrophe and I was sure that our life was coming to an end and you know we would be now working at Walmart and Ray would be greeting and I'd be checking out and all of those things that run through your minds and I was crying and complaining to mom and she finally had had enough of it you know she'd listened and listened and tried to empathize and then finally she said well that's just great you're going to add your fear to their sin. Do you know, Janie, there are over... I'd still laugh because I can just see her face. Do you know, Janie, there are over 365 fear knots in the Bible? That's one for each day. Now stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and so she helped me to remember that God's design for me as a woman is to be fearlessly feminine. There's nothing to fear as a woman of God. I love that story, and what a, woman, what a faithful woman. One of the things that I'm so glad you've brought up fear, I also am glad that you brought up Proverbs 31, because I know that half of you are like, Proverbs 31, <laughs> I know. And it is in a book on the wisdom of God, <laughs> book on wisdom, and it's a Hebrew poem, and we can learn from it. And also, I just think so much of the fear, the fear not, directs us where we can trust. Trust God. Fear God. And so I'm so grateful for that beginning. And let's just go straight where I know a lot of these women may have young kids, and you're like, mm, husband, what? And so, Cammie, 
how do you prioritize your marriage, which is what our priority, when you have little little ones and you have four little boys, <laughs> and I know those boys, and they are precious, and they have energy and. <laughs> Yes, yes, lots of energy, and I have the youngest of the group up here, so I feel like I'm kind of in the in the thick, like many of you out there. So my my advice would be to find any little pocket that you can, and just because one person does it this way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. You can go on the back porch at night in the. 30 minutes of silence you have, and you can reconnect. Or for us, like in this particular season of life serving in our church, we host um, the young adult, young professional small group in our church. And we've had some gracious folks from church be like, hey, can we watch your kids one night a week for free? Just y'all go grab dinner. Like we can hold down the fort. We've got, you know, we'll have two guys in their late 20s come over and tag team with the boys and they'll be out throwing the football for an hour while we go talk to one another. So you have to find the pockets that you can and it doesn't look the same for everybody, but there has to be a recognition of what's primary. The fam- We were a family before we had kids first. I mean, and that's important, and that's something that God has created and God has designed that way, and you have to prioritize that person because it brings stability to the rest of the home. If you guys are not communicating, even in small ways, if you're not loving, even in small things, even in a hard season, the rest of your house is going to feel it. So you have to have those moments of intentionality in any way you can get them. Yeah. My kids are 12 and 8, and so something that we try to do every every night that I'm home <laughs> is go walk. So we'll walk for 30 minutes or an hour because they can stay without killing themselves or burning down the house for an hour. And so it's it's something that we try to just do to prioritize. And what do you do, Donna, for the person who hears that and they think, yes, I long for that, I want to do that, but I'm overwhelmed? First of all, thank the Lord for the gift of children and that he has given you that because there are so many women who do not have children and long for that or women like you shared who have children in heaven. So pause and thank the Lord for the little ones he has allowed to be in your home and spend your time with the Lord. Find a time to be with the Lord because you are not going to be able to be the wife you need to be or the parent you need to be apart from your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is your everything, when he has met your internal need for love and significance, you're able to love your spouse out of the overflow without demanding. And when you have small children and you're being pulled at all day long, when your husband gets in, you're expecting something from him because you've been drained. But if the Lord has filled your cup, and you are satisfied and fulfilled in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're able to love your spouse without demanding anything from him or literally sucking the life out of him. That's really what we do most of the time. So I would just encourage you to set aside some time to, somebody a long time ago gave us these three Ds, and they were very beneficial, and we clung to them, we calendared around them. Dialogue daily. 
find a time that you connect and talk together. And sometimes it may be right after dinner when your children get a little older. When they get old enough, their job is to clean the kitchen. I mean, that's awesome. Steve and I would get a cup of coffee and go sit down. And they kind of resented it for a while. But I said, you know what? We did our day. (laughs) It's your time now. This is part of being a responsible member of this family. Um, So that was our time to kind of talk. So dialogue daily, date weekly. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, we don't have the money. We don't have the babysitters. Put the kids to bed early and have a late dinner together by yourselves. You can date at home. That's okay. And then depart frequently. And when we were in early ministry, we had couple friends that had children about the same age. And so we would swap off. I would keep their children one Friday night. And then two a couple of weeks later, you know, they would keep ours on a Friday night and we could get away. Even if we stayed home, we were by ourselves. So dialogue daily, date weekly, and depart frequently. You've got to do that. And if you will do that, when the last child leaves, you're going to be, yes, this is awesome. We love each other. We have stayed in love, and it's like we're dating again. It's like early marriage all over again. So I'm telling you, hang in there. It's really good. (laughs) I will not tell you about this interview I did with Janie and Ray, but I hear it's real. (laughs) I hear that is not a lie. (laughs) So I look forward to that. Y'all can fill in the blanks. Okay. Donna, you, you mentioned it, and we're going to dive deeper into it. You mentioned Jesus has to be your everything. And I will just confess, my first year of marriage, my poor husband, I had all these expectations of him, and I realized I wanted him to be Jesus, and he couldn't be Jesus. And so I repented of my self-righteousness and my desire for him to fulfill my all and all, and it was just a mess, but he was so gracious because he is. But, um, and more importantly, the Lord, he's so good and so gracious. So Nicole, I, I want to ask you, how do, how do we keep Jesus as our center? And anyone can answer this. I'm going to start with Nicole, but if you all have some tips and thoughts, because ultimately that's what marriage is about. Right? It's a, this a picture, this beautiful picture of the gospel. So, how do we keep it central when we have all the activities and busyness and kids and marriage and conflict? Well, I I do think what you just brought up about the all the other stuff that we have, yeah. we spend a lot of our energy on those other things, and we throw this word intentionality around a lot but we don't actually use it when it comes to this, especially in the little years, as well as we should. And I think if we can step back and actually evaluate where we are spending our time and energy, really, I mean, we spend a lot of time on Pinterest planning birthday parties. <laughs> but we don't spend a lot of time in God's Word. And that, that's just real life. And so um, if we can step back and just allow the Lord to really purge a lot of those things from us, be, be open to being convicted about those things, um, then he can show us we do have that time. We, and he will honor that time uh, if we can spend it in his word. I mean, I, I love that you say, I mean, make him your all in all and actually spend the time and energy doing that. Um, we live in a day and age when we have so many resources and opportunities to pour Jesus into our families. I mean, people are writing books left and right. They are putting resources on the internet for us. Um, If we will spend our time and energy doing that, we can bring him into every facet of our life. Do you all have any practical, let's get practical, day-to-day, someone could walk out of here and say, okay, I'm going to try to implement this one thing 
So just go down the line. Some practical ways that you have. One thing that has helped me is if I change the paradigm in my mind and I don't plan my quiet time around my schedule, I plan my schedule oh, around cool. my quiet time. So number one on my calendar for tomorrow is where Ray and I will be flying home and then we've got company there and we're leaving again Monday for LA. I mean, there's a lot going on tomorrow, but number one needs to be getting my heart right with the Lord. So that will be first on my list and then I'll plan the other things around that. One thing I would speak to is get some encouraging women outside of just your husband who can speak into some dark times, maybe of raising little ones. This lady right here was that for me, I know. So somebody who's another faithful Christian woman, if you can say, you know what, (laughs) I'm trying to get up and read and it's just, I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading and it's just not making sense. But somebody along who can say, you know what, I'm going to commit to send you some scripture during the week. And I want you to meditate on that when you're nursing a baby in the middle of the night. And it's like, Lord, I don't even know what to do. So a faithful friend, I think that can remind you of the truth of God when sometimes it's not always making it from the head to the heart, I think has been something that's been helpful for me. Um, Just real practically, I would start um, setting some goals for what you want your family to look like. How do you want your family to know Jesus? How do you how do you want to know Jesus? So set some goals. You know, maybe you want to read the whole Bible this year. Set that goal and make a plan to do it. Um, for your kids, what do you want them to know about Jesus? What do you want them to know about the local church? What? How do you want them to leave your home in the long run? Um, and then work back. So how does that play out? So when they're little, You know, when we're talking at the dinner table, I want to talk about the truth of who God is. So I might, at our house, we had these placemats, and it has the attributes of God. And so we can work through them at the dinner table. So I've worked back. I want them to know the attributes of God. So this is a tool that I can use. So really setting those goals and then finding ways to meet them. And there's lots of good options. Those are all excellent because passion for Christ is caught more than it's taught. So if you're passionate about Jesus Christ, you're going to pass on that passion to your children. And I would encourage you in those days when it is so difficult to get up, set that alarm, make yourself get up. And I tell women all the time, if you will get up two or three days in a row, you will go to bed on time. (laughs) You're going to be exhausted. But that is my lifeline. My time with the Lord was my lifeline, and I had everything set together. My And I do read through the Bible every year. I've been doing that for probably 30 years, and I there's no other way to do it. If you want to know God, you've got to know God and the whole counsel of of God and how he has revealed himself. And as you immerse yourself in the word of God, he renews your mind. He transforms the way you think. So I have my either my one-year Bible, my chronological Bible, or whatever I'm using, prayer journal, prayer cards, devotional, whatever I need for my quiet time stays together right there so that I can very quietly get up and not have to turn on a lot of lights, rummaging, looking for my things and possibly wake somebody up. But even when my children were small, if they heard me up and they came in there, I got them a sippy cup and a book or a blanket and I laid them down and said, mommy's not finished meeting with the Lord. When I finish my time with Jesus, you know what? I will be here for you. They need to see you doing that because I wanted my children, even if they grew up and rebelled away from the Lord, 
Even if they ran from him, they would never be able to doubt his existence because they had seen the reality of him in my life. No, that's good. There's two things that I'm hearing. Intentionality, which I can't say that word, and desperation. So if we're desperate for him and see our need for him, we'll make the time happen. And I have a friend who had a season of <laughs> where she just wanted to run from absolutely everything. She was just overwhelmed, struggling with um, despondency. And maybe some of you in here have a dark season of soul, or maybe you struggle with depression. There's loads of different spectrums in this room. And so she just decided to empty her schedule, say no to all sorts of things that she was saying yes to. And then she made a little prayer closet and she would just dive into that closet. I love that. So Janny and Donna um, and anyone else who would like to chime in, an important part that we don't talk enough about in my estimation of marriage is intimacy. So how have you been encouraged to fight for intimacy during the tough times and just the everyday life. So you have small children, you're busy, et cetera. How do you fight for that time of intimacy in your marriage? Oh, that's such a good question. I'd almost like to rephrase it instead of um, how can we fight for intimacy to how can we flirt for intimacy? <laughs> um, because we, as Christian women are the only legal and God-blessed response to our husband's sexuality. And I want to be the woman that can give my man all that he can take under the covering of God. So he's in here. Can I hear an amen, Ray, from the back? <laughs> Let's keep moving, ladies. I just want to say one more thing and then tell you a little story. Learn about your body. God made you such a, in such a unique and beautiful way. And he wants to give you unimaginable joys. A, a very wise older woman talked to me early on in our marriage when I was questioning some things. And she told me very wisely, Janie, if you're wondering about what sexual fulfillment is, and you haven't experienced it yet. And she guided me to a book called Intended for Pleasure by Ed and Gay Wheat. The Wheats, yes, we all agree. That is a wonderful Christian resource. I would highly recommend it. Discover what you're capable of. And um, let me just tell you this fun story. It's not about us. <laughs> you can relax, Ray. Um, I read this once of a, a daughter telling the story of her parents at their 50th wedding anniversary. And she said, my parents have always been very much in love. There were four kids in the family. We always knew that they were very much in love. And when each one of us kids got married, our parents told us their secret. They said that on their honeymoon, they bought a very special little silver box. And every time they made love, they put a dollar in it. And they started saving for their 50th wedding anniversary. And the daughter, in telling this story, said they must have made a lot of love because they got all the way to Hawaii and had <laughs> lots of money to spend. 
And she can remember back as she was growing up, her dad would come home from work and he would say, I got a dollar in my pocket, honey. (laughs) And she would say, I know how to spend it, dear. (laughs) And there'd just be this little exchange between them. Well, the night of their 50th anniversary, they had a big party and the kids were sending them off and her dad gave her a hug and he said, we're starting a fund for Cancun tonight. (laughs) It should only take us 25 years now. (laughs) We laugh because we sense how endearing sexual intimacy can be and how much we want it to be like that. We want it to bring joy. So I just want to encourage you, flirt for your intimacy. If, if, If you need to go out and buy that negligee, do it. If you need to send the kids over to your friend's house for two hours and then next week you'll keep her, do it. It's worth it. I love that. It is. And Jenny, I appreciate the fact that she pointed out that you are your husband's only righteous outlet to have that need fulfilled. And it also is a beautiful part of what God has wired your husband to need. It's part of what binds the two of you together. And when you initiate at times, that is also a part of respecting him. Because part of respect is is being desired. It is being needed and desired. And so if you will initiate periodically, and I realize if you have small children at home, you're thinking, you know, people are pulling on me all the time. And when he gets home, I'm like, don't even think about it. (laughs) Don't even get close to me. But you go take a bath. Tell your husband, put the kids to bed. You go take a bath, kind of reframe everything, and then you're ready for him. And you kind of, I kind of had mental times in my life. My husband's a pastor, so Monday morning was always, after the kids were gone to school, that was our time. You've got to have some special times that you he looks forward to. And you need to meet that need for him because it is a blessed part of that union of being one. It's a picture of the gospel. And I can tell you, it is a time that you can forget all of the things that the enemy tries to use to pull you apart. So that can heal a lot of wounds by just getting together. And then you can talk about that thing that's been that pressing need or that thing you're really wanting to communicate with him about. Take care of that need first, and you're going to find he's going to be a much more pleasant to talk to you afterwards. (laughs) And for some of you, you might be like, well, it's my need too. And absolutely. And so I think if, um, because marriage, we share. It's your body is my body, my body, your body. And so if there's anyone in here who is struggling deeply, and so you're thinking, I want this, but we we have deep issues. Um, See a counselor. See someone who can help you through those 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 issues, the things that are, are hindering your intimacy, because there's lots of things that could be. I want to just tell you one other trick. <laughs> My husband and I also have tricks up our sleeve because it is, it's really, it's hard when you have kids. And so we'll say, we're going to go take a, have a chat. We need to really talk about something. So you all go and do whatever or send them outside. And so in other words, and maybe this is TMI, but whatever, we've already been there. <laughs> It don't feel like, okay, that means at night, at nine o'clock, when the kids are in bed, when you're exhausted already. So we are creative. We're like afternoon, lunch date, you know, whatever, because it's so important. And I think it's just a central part of an an important bond that bonds us together. Hey, Julia, I just want to add, I'm glad that you brought up your kids. Your kids need to know that you love sex with your husband. 
Like, they need to see, as, so as they get older, age-appropriate, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but they need to know that that intimacy is good and fabulous. That is very reassuring to them in the stability of your marriage. So let them see. And that sex is a beautiful God-given gift yes. to be enjoyed yes. by a husband and wife so that they're not thinking it's dirty and I'm not ever supposed to, you know, be a part of that. Yes. Actually, there's so much damage that has been done from what I hear, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so this is me from what I've heard, um, from a culture that would uh, make sex dirty because you're trying to keep your kids from having sex. Right. So, so what a be- I'm so glad you guys said that. That's really important. Um, Cami, you can talk about sex, but from se- <laughs> if you want to, but and this is probably part of your answer. Are there any practical things you do to keep your marriage healthy? So beyond sexual intimacy, we, what, is, what are other ways that we can keep, practically keep our marriage healthy? Yes. So, I mean, we've already been on that topic. Um, find things that you enjoy and be willing to ask those questions of your spouse. I mean, there may be some of you who are outdoorsy people. There may be some of you who are indoorsy. Some people <laughs> like the air conditioning. There's nothing wrong with that. But find, yeah, find different things that you like to do and make space to do it. It's okay. You have, you don't always have to be on as a mom and dad. And I think some of them have echoed earlier, like creating space and whatever kinds of different ways, but find things where you can laugh together. You can enjoy an experience. You can travel. You can be a foodie. You can eat chips and queso. I mean, whatever it is that you guys like to do, that's a way, I mean, it's one way that he knits your hearts together. Oh, I mean, there is the intimacy component, but yeah, just, yeah, yeah, enjoy one another. Remember why you're together, that you like this person and you like them because you... (laughs) You like to talk to them. You want to hear their thoughts on not just the hard things, but the good things. Yeah. And so, yeah, find those shared experiences. Can I say that, y'all, there are, the reality is there are times, like, it's not fun and fabulous, and we don't really like that person, and it, it hurts, and it's ugly. That's when we have to go back to making decisions based on what we know to be true on God's Word, what He says about our husbands, what He says about us. What his word has said is true instead of what I feel. Um, When I don't feel like I love him, I've got to go back to God's word and find out exactly what God says about my husband, how he is a child of God, how God made him, and really base my feelings on truth instead of my emotions. Absolutely. You've made a covenant. Start there. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's really important. And I've watched Cami and Philip, and they they have this shared Texas A and M bond <laughs> and steak. And it's I think it's 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 been fun to watch from afar just to see that they they have uh, those things that are shared. And then there are there are people who aren't going to necessarily like the same things. And so for for instance, my husband and I we we love being outdoors together. We love, but he. he he has interests, and I, I just don't like football. I'm no, uh, uh. and I've tried. I keep trying, but it's just not going to happen. So, and so instead of just being like, okay, you do your separate thing all the time, um, I try to engage a little and learn a little, and then I go and do 
what I like, you know. And so, the, and I think that there's just something sweet about that, that God has created us unique and different. And so we can have these shared experiences that we do have and we can enjoy, but then we can also learn. We can learn from one another and all of our differences. Um, Jenny, back to you, or and anyone, of course, can answer this. But for many women in here, their kids have not left yet. They still have young children. And for some, the children has been their main work. It's, um, it's what they've done. So what happens when the kids leave? How can empty nesters be encouraged and fulfilled in their calling? And what encouragement might you have for the empty nester in the room? So there might be some who our kids are on the verge of leaving. What encouragement would you have? Well, the good thing is, generally, they leave gradually. So it's not night and day. So that does help. But personally, for me, and Donna, I heard you refer to this as well, the whole purpose of our having kids is to train them and send them out to serve the Lord Jesus with all their hearts in their generation. So we can celebrate in a goal being accomplished. This child loves the Lord, he's seeking his will, and he's going to go out and serve him. So, first of all, we need to recognize, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this life that you've allowed me to serve and love and give myself to. And, and then, I think, you just love them in a different way. When they're little, it's a lot more physical when they're older, Ray and I found it's a lot more emotional and spiritual. But you still spend yourself, think of 2 Corinthians uh, twelve fifteen. I think, A, it says, Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So when they're little, you're, you're loving them physically, keeping them alive, teaching them about Jesus. And then as they grow, you're praying train them through all those teen years and then marriage and they're off. Oh my goodness, you still spend yourself. You, you try to stay connected. You visit, you give yourself to them and their children. So it's a different kind of spending, but it's a glorious spending. Don't dread those days. Um, and as Donna said, it really is great to have it's like a honeymoon, only you really know what you're doing and, and you love each other. <laughs> That's, I, would, I would echo that. That's ditto. That's right. Um, but I, I would also say, too, our goal is to raise them up, to send them out. Our two oldest daughters founded a blog, Missional Motherhood, and she, my daughter recruited a lot of different women to participate from various stages of mothering because she wanted to learn from some others, but it's called Missional Motherhood, and the subtitle is Raising Them Up to Send Them Out. I mean, that is our purpose, is to shoot out these arrows into the world that are going to impact the world for the cause of the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. I mean, that is our goal. So we're not, I mean, the first one's the hardest, but then once they, you know, you start celebrating and seeing how they begin to flourish and how they own their faith and how God begins to use them. And we're incredibly blessed that all four of ours are walking with the Lord and are married to believers and raising their children to know and love the Lord. And so that, I mean, that is incredible. But I want to give you a verse to pray for your children, okay? It's not, a, it's not the typical verse that people pray. It's Isaiah 59, 21. And it says, your spirit that is upon us and your words that are in our mouth 
will not depart from our mouths or the mouths of our children, the mouths of our children's children forever. And Steve and I have claimed that for our children and prayed that for and over our children, that his spirit, which is upon us, and his word that is in our mouth, and we want to speak his word to them. We want them to know that we live in his word, we make decisions based on his word, that if we have a question, we're going to go back to God's word, and we're going to go to prayer so that the Lord will answer us. And we model that for our children, so that becomes their go-to. In fact, funny story, we only allowed praise music in our homes in the morning. Now, the kids could listen to other types of music that we approved at other times, but in the morning, only praise music. And when the kids would come down, I had praise music going in the kitchen. Why? Because when they left, I wanted that in their brain. So when one of our daughters got married, she married a musician. He's a worship pastor, but he does listen to all kinds of music. And she said, Mom, I can't tell you. Well, the first year of our marriage, I got up one morning, and he was playing music that wasn't Christian. And she said, everything in me was like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> not allowed. (laughs) But you will create patterns for your children that they will perpetuate with their own children in their own homes. That is so funny. Okay, so this is not my stage of life, but if, you know, these ladies up here are empty nesters, if that's you, don't forget the people in the trenches. Like, you know, you never can underestimate what the kind word or the how are you, how are things going, um, those questions do so much for somebody who's in the daily grind. And so just even asking, you know, the right questions or at least opening up a line of communication can really be beneficial. That's good. That's good. So you have opportunity now to invest in the women around you. So that's excellent. Um, Reality is there are desperate times in marriage. And Nicole alluded to it earlier, and I want us to dig a little deeper into that. And I, if you have any, um, the reality is there are people in this room who have broken marriages. And so is, if you could share a time when it's been difficult um, and how the Lord worked through that season or that day or whatever it was, um, and and what you learn from it and how it helps motivate you as if for the next season or conflict or time, that would be really encouraging. So let us think through a time when it was difficult. So, so for us, I would say probably the most significant struggle that um, basically it was a, um, a crisis of my faith and what everything I believed because of a circumstance that happened in my extended family that as an adult I found out about that caused me to question everything I knew about family and faith and what it meant. And so, like, talk about shell of yourself. Like, when you are just so distraught, so done, so have nothing, your marriage is vulnerable. Um, I'm married to a pastor, and I remember sitting there um, and saying, okay, I need you not to be pastor right now. Like, I need you, I need everything in the husband department right now just to get through the day, just to get through the next week. And I would say that the most critical part of us surviving that season would be um, having outside help. We never would have survived that season. Um, we were both hurting, but obviously by the time it was all done, But having someone that we knew, that we trusted, 
um, that was not going to sugarcoat anything, that was going to ask the hard questions, that was going to mourn with us and rejoice when we had some wins. Having those people in your life, and you need those before you get to the crisis. So find out who they are. Invest in them. And if you don't have them, then you go pay a counselor. You go pay someone to help you. There are just things in life that we face in marriage that we can't do alone. And so get help. Get help. And I don't know how many of you were in there to hear Beth Moore when Dr. Moore uh, interviewed her this morning. She did a fabulous job. But I had the opportunity to tell her, I recognize that your baggage may be different than my baggage, but everybody has baggage. And part of what happens in marriage is it brings out the best and the worst in us because you've got two sinners living under a roof and there's going to be friction. There's going to be difficulties. My husband and I could not be more different. He is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I mean, you just go down the list and we are absolute opposites. And somebody long time ago wrote a book, Opposites Attract and Then They Attack. (laughs) Because those things that I was so drawn to when we were dating became real irritations after we were married. And I'm sure it was the same way for him. But to be able to pray through, that's where the Lord had to become my lifeline because I reached a point in our marriage that was a crisis for me where he was not meeting my expectations and I felt like I was becoming the nagging woman in Proverbs and I hated who I was becoming. And I read Watchman Nee's book on spiritual authority and it rocked me to my core because I recognized the ugliness of my own rebellion and that I had been trying to get out of Steve, what I alluded to earlier, I was sucking the life out of him. And I was trying to get out of him what I should have been getting only from Jesus Christ. And when I let go of him, sometimes marriage is like a tug of war and you're both pulling to get your needs met or to get your way. And when somebody lets go, what happens in tug of war? (laughs) There's nothing to pull against, right? So when I let Jesus Christ meet those deep needs in my life and I released my husband and I apologized to him and told him, I'm I'm letting go of my expectations. I'm going hard after Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to be the wife that you need and I'm going to love you as unto the Lord and be the mother that I need to be. It was amazing how much more satisfied I was and how much more wonderful he was. (laughs) You know, and it's it's probably not that he changed a ton, but that you started to see him as created That's in the exactly image of what God. And, yeah. I released the expectations yeah. and I suddenly began to celebrate who he was and how yeah. God had created him. Well, I'm saying this because I relate. And yeah, I just, I, I remember my husband and I are incredibly different. And it was until the Lord started to show me, oh, all the good and wonderful ways that he has made him for his glory and really for my benefit, it wasn't until God really humbled me and showed me my own sin that I started to enjoy my husband so much more. But I'll share a story and then I'll see if you have. There was a season when I was, my husband is steady, steady as you go. And we, he's also in real estate. And when the bottom dropped in the market, it dropped for us. I've never seen him anxious ever. And he started to be anxious. Of course, that, I was like, <gasps> everything's going to die. Just, because he's never, he was just so steady. And I, I actually was I, was, I didn't know what to do. I just said, hey, babe, we're going to see the pastor because I, I, don't, I don't have anything for you. I don't know what to do. And we did, and it was the absolute best thing. And so I, it goes to Nicole's point, pulling in. I, I, and he, he knows I'm going to f- fight for the flourishing of our marriage. <laughs> and I was, I was like, 
you're going to fall apart. If you're going to fall apart, that's fine. But do it in front of the pastor and we're going to get help as much. <laughs> we're going to get as much help as possible. And, and the Lord restored and renewed and, and just helped us so much. Well, Nicole, this is back to you. It has been said that at some point in marriage, it can become dull because you get you just get to you're spending all that time together. You so how do you keep it fresh? Is maybe a silly word, but how do you keep it from becoming like your roommates, which you all probably relate to, where you get up and you start doing your own thing, and then you come and it's become routine. So how do you how do you manage that? protects your marriage from that. Well, I think we've t- touched on this a little bit already, but it's hard to become roommate-ish with someone that you are really enjoying having good sex with. So start there. Work on that. Okay, that, that's a really good place to be. Um, because then you, that is the re-knitting of your souls. Every time you are together, Um, you're enjoying one another in that experience and it's going to overflow to the rest of your life. But again, it comes back to intentionality. I think, especially in a season when children are in the home, really cultivating, it doesn't have to be a set regular time, but a a rhythm of life where where it is just the two of you. Because first of all, it's unhealthy for your children to never be apart from you. Like, they need that experience to learn and thrive in the world to be apart from you. Um, but just to renew um, your relationship, you know, maybe it is just talking about a book or getting a coffee. I, but if you're not going to, I mean, like, what is your goal? What, what do you want to get out of this relationship with your husband? And again, then make a plan to do that. One thing that worked for me one day... Um, <laughs> Ray was a busy pastor. This was a few years ago, and I just was lonely for him. And as wives, you know that feeling. You don't want to add something more to your husband's schedule. He's so busy. You want to not be a life drainer. You want to be a life giver. But I really needed to see him some eye-to-eye time, not just at 1030 after he got home from the elders meeting and all the building, church building committee meeting, everything. (laughs) So... Uh, I knew that he had a weekly meeting with our chief elder, Tony, and uh, they always met for lunch. And so I called Tony and I said, you know, Tony, I just haven't seen Ray very much. Would you be willing to give me your lunch date? And he said, sure, Janie, I get it. And so I arranged with Ray's secretary for her to put on his schedule, you know, Tony for lunch at the Radisson Hotel. They have a nice restaurant there. And when Ray walked into the hotel, Tony wasn't there. He said, Janie, I'm meeting Tony here. Who are you meeting? And I got to tell him I was meeting him. So we, <laughs> we went and had lunch. And then, you know, it was the strangest thing. When the waitress cleared the plates away, there was something under that plate. And Ray picked it up. He said, what is this? I said, oh, it's a, a, a room key, darling. <laughs> And his schedule had been cleared for a few hours, and we caught up on a lot of things. And, you know, something like that, I can tell you, know, because it's special. I remember it. We couldn't do it every week. I wish we could. Ask the Lord, the Creator. He loves your marriage. As Ray taught us yesterday, it's part of 
the remnant of the Garden of Eden. God wants your marriage to be full of joy and fun, and the God who created marriage can help you be creative in how to find time in your busy life to celebrate. One thing I wanted to add is don't believe the lie that your husband, in particular, created in the image of God, is dull. He was created by a creative God with a soul. And you should be a lifelong learner of your spouse. There is no, we don't serve a boring God. I mean, he has wired each one of us differently with different giftings, and there are depths to the soul that you can pull out over a lifetime. You haven't learned it all. You know, even if you're at the point where you're like, okay, it feels like the same, you know, different questions. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways, but just don't don't let Satan feed that, that, okay, this is all it is, and it's never going to change, and blah, 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 blah. We serve a big God. And he can do amazing things over a lifetime. And he's partnered us together for, for that purpose. So. That's so encouraging. That's really encouraging. And, and it's true. What do you say to the woman who is listening but is maybe on the verge of filing for divorce or have, has given up hope or is a shell, just wants out? What do you, how do you encourage, maybe rebuke her in, to, to keep persevering through whatever this, it, it, of course, every situation is different. So I want to, we're not talking about an abusive marriage, right? We're just talking about the ordinary, everyday struggles of marriage. So how, how can we encourage her? Well, I think just remembering that there is no one more for your marriage than God is for your marriage because he's given it to us to show the world his glory and his relationship with us. So he is going to do everything he can to save that marriage. And so trusting him and knowing that, and it comes back to making those decisions based on truth instead of your feelings. I agree totally. And I was going to say, too, that statistics show that couples who are on the brink of divorce and would say they're extremely unhappy in their marriage, maybe someone's ready to file, if they will press through and hang in there five years later, two-thirds of them rate their marriage as happy. And I shared this at a marriage conference probably 10 years ago at our church, and I had a young woman come up to me that I was able later to disciple, and she said, I want to just tell you today, I'm saying it out loud, I'm staying in my marriage because of the statistic you shared. (laughs) Well, I can happily tell you, not only 10 years later are they still married, but they have two more children. So (laughs) they are doing really well. But I had the blessing of being able to disciple her. Get in the Word of God. Press in to the Lord. Get in His Word. Share with another godly woman, an older woman, a mentor, someone who will help hold you accountable, will spend time with you, will pray with you, will pray over you. Just this past week, I was teaching through 1 Peter 3, and it's that passage that we kind of like mm, cringe when we hear the word submission sometimes, but it begins by saying, in the same way, you wives also be submissive to your husbands. And it was talking about, it just came off of the end of chapter 2, about Jesus Christ as our example, equal with the Father and yet submissive to the Father's will. And so just like Jesus, in the same way, you wives submit to your husbands. And when I do that, do you know who I'm ultimately submitting to? God the Father. 
When I choose to submit to Steve, I'm not saying Steve's perfect. I'm saying, God, you are perfect and your plan is perfect. And I am trusting you by being willing to submit to him. Now, here's the good news. He says if we will do that, we will, he will create in us the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Imperishable, will not pass away. Imperishable, what you will be when you stand before Jesus Christ. So what you're doing by choosing to submit to your husband and let Jesus Christ, let your inner being be conformed into his likeness, you are allowing him to put within you imperishable qualities that will be a part of you when you stand before Jesus Christ. They're going to be a part of you forever. And not only that, it goes on to say that it's precious in the sight of God. The only other time that phrase is used was in chapter 2 when it was talking about Jesus being the living stone that people rejected but was precious in the sight of God. There's one other place it's used is in the Psalms when it says precious in the sight of God is the death of his godly ones. So I want to encourage you women, follow the example of Jesus Christ. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord, because he's ultimately who you're submitting to. And he is going to implant within your inner being imperishable qualities that are precious in his sight, and they'll be with you for eternity. So remember this, the internal is eternal. The internal is eternal. Can I just emphasize something in that that you just uh, mentioned about finding someone, a mentor, and another lady that can dis- disciple you? Um, I have found um, that for whatever reason, a lot of times we reach out to people that are in the general same season of our life, that are in the same struggles. And while that's good that they can relate, we need people that have walked the road a little bit longer than us that can see the other side. Um, you know, if I'm just with someone that's in the same deep struggle I am, we kind of perpetuate the, the crazy. Um, <laughs> and so really finding someone that's down the road that you've been able to watch them do it well um, is really critical to helping you have a, a further outlook on things. I think it's essential, actually. It's so important. Um, We only have two minutes left. So, Jenny, give us some gospel hope as we leave. Just pour it out on us. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Let's remember that the gospel is not advice on how to gain God's approval. It's good news for really bad people who just need to be forgiven. And if we can remember that about ourselves, Romans 15, 7 encourages us, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Welcome one another as you've been welcomed by Christ. How does Christ welcome us? Open-armed, forgiving. A, a gospel marriage puts down the pointing finger and saying, if you do this, then everything will be okay. It takes all the, what I would call the or else-ness out of your relationship. Do this or else. Be this or else. And because we have been so loved by Jesus Christ, he gives us the power to love our men that way. So we can just rejoice in the gospel and ask him to let it flow through us, and remember that all it takes to have a long, fun, great marriage is one more day 
and then one more day, and then one more day. Don't give up too soon. Well, thank you so much. And guys, I'm so, can we thank them? Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. For more information about this and a variety of other topics, check out our website at erlc.com. And don't forget to join us next week for a brief talk on having difficult discussions with your children.